What's up, guys? Brian Ratliff here. Just wanted to say thank you for tuning in to Keep the Faith Podcast. Grab your Bibles and let's dig in to the Word of God. Jesus, when he was alive 2,000 years ago, said the words, If you are against me, you are not for me. Or if you are not for me, you are against me. In other words, he is saying, If you're on my team, then you are on my team. But if you're not on my team, then you are not on my team. In other words, he's saying, if you're a part of my family, then you will be a part of my family. But if you're not a part of my family, you're not a part of my family. Those who are not for him, he said, are against him. And of course, our passage today speaks about the Antichrist. And the Bible is is very adamant that there will one day become one that will rise up who will be called the Antichrist... But John is writing here, speaking about how one day there will be an Antichrist, but he's speaking about how those can have the spirit of Antichrist. So the title of my sermon today is The Spirit of Antichrist. And today, if you are on Team Jesus, you are a part of the spirit of Christ. But if you are not on Team Jesus, then you are a part of the spirit of Antichrist. And today, I just want to let you know that that the writer John here is the only New Testament writer that uses the term Antichrist. The only one. But we know throughout the Old and New Testaments that the Bible emphasizes and describes one who would be called the Antichrist. In fact, if you are a student of the Bible, you will know well that the book of Daniel, specifically chapter 7, 9, and 11, speak about him. If you're a student of the Bible, you'll know that Matthew chapter 24 speaks about the one that we would call Antichrist or a false Christ who would rise in the scene. Paul writes in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 about this one we call Antichrist. He calls them of other names. And of course, in Revelation chapter 13, the Bible speaks about this one who had come with great charisma, who had come with great leadership abilities, with with great orator abilities, and, and great abilities to draw people together to produce and open up the doorway to a one world system of government, a one world system of economics, and a one world system of religion. And the Bible speaks about this one named Antichrist. In fact, he will subdue three kings. He will rise from obscurity as Daniel rises from a little horn. He will speak boastfully. He will blaspheme God. The book of Daniel speaks about him slandering the name of Christ in the name of God. Uh, dwelling in the holy place and declaring himself to be God and demanding all those who are alive on the earth to worship him. And if you do not worship him, you will die by his hand. But today I did not come to do you to talk to you about the future events of this one world ruler. I came to talk to you about those who have the spirit of this one world ruler. And so my question is simply this, that we're all asking, is if the title of your sermon is the spirit of Antichrist, then what in the world is the spirit of Antichrist? Now, very briefly and simply, the word Antichrist in its simplest form means somebody that that is against or somebody that opposes 
the Christ, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. But if I could summarize what I want to share with you today with one sentence, it would be this key thought. The spirit of Antichrist is denying, distorting, and departing from true saving faith. I believe that is exactly what John is relaying to us in these several verses from verse 18 down to verse 27. That the spirit of Antichrist is denying, distorting, and departing from true saving faith. And today, listen, if you are not a Christian, you have the spirit of Antichrist. If you deny that Jesus is the only way to heaven, you have the spirit of Antichrist. If you deny today that the Bible is the authoritative word of God, you have the spirit of Antichrist. If you're distorting what the word of God teaches, you have the spirit of Antichrist. And if you have departed from the true teachings of the word of God, you have the spirit of Antichrist. So my question for you today is this, are you on team Jesus or are you on team Antichrist? Are you a part of the body of Christ or are you a part of the body of Antichrist? Now that being said, I want to draw your attention to verses 18 and 19 and want to share with you three thoughts about what is the spirit of Antichrist, kind of elaborating on our key thought today. For verses 18 and 19, the first thought is simply this, the spirit of Antichrist departs from true saving faith. The spirit of Antichrist departs from true saving faith. Look at verse 18 with me. Here in verse 18, John, as he's accustomed to writing, he calls these people, these believers, little children. Now, this word for children gives the idea that they are the young converted believers. And to anybody, uh, John to anybody is a young child in the faith. And so he's perhaps writing to the ones a part of his church in Ephesus that he pastored and oversaw, or perhaps he's writing to many different believers that he had some sort of impact on or led to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But anyways, he's writing here and he's delivering these things. And he's, in a sense, he's, he's writing to these ones who are immature in their faith, seeking to grow in their faith. Because listen, those who are trying to pull people outside of the faith are those they're going to emphasize those who are immature and young in their faith and their walk. If I could just share with you a pack of wolves. A pack of wolves is not going to try to hone in and focus on the strongest animal they're hunting. In fact, they're going to keep an eye on the pack of deer or, or whatever pack of animals or herd of animals they're trying to hunt down. What they will begin to do is they will watch in the shadows and observe whatever they're hunting. And they will begin to take note of the weakest link within the pack. And then as soon as the weakest link is set off to themselves, they will attack the weakest link. And that's exactly what Satan does through false teachers. And false teachers will seek to try to hone in on those who, don't, who haven't come to a mature understanding of God's word and will seek to lead them astray. And this is the idea here. John is combating the beginning stages of Gnosticism of, of people who are denying the full deity of Christ or denying many aspects of the humanity of Christ. And here Jesus is being taught here in John's letter how he is the true Christ. And there is those who have the spirit of Antichrist. So here in verse 18 and 19, we see that he is emphasizing the spirit of Antichrist departs from true saving faith. Look at, look at this first part of verse 18. Really, it says, it says um, the last time at the beginning of verse 18 and the last time at, at verse 18. But here's a thought I want to share with you. Departed faith 
means living with no concern of the return of Christ. Departed faith means living with no concern of the return of Christ. Now remember the Apostle Paul was writing and he writes to young Timothy and he says in the last days or in the last times or in the last hour, men will depart from the faith. In other words, it's not saying that they were saved and now they are unsaved. It means they have been around the concept of true saving faith, but then they are departing from it without ever experiencing the power, the transformative power of the gospel. And so here John is writing that he says, little children, my young ones in the faith, it is the last time. Now, another way of saying this is the last hour. And so obviously John was living, he's perhaps writing this somewhere between 90 and 95 AD, and he is not literally meaning 60 minutes here. He is referring to a period of time that when Jesus ascended and right before Jesus returns. And so that is what we mean by the last days. We are in a sense living in the last days. And here these false teachers in a sense are giving the idea that that they have departed from the faith and they're not living in light of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, I happen to believe that this return could happen at any time. I would lean towards it, and I would believe that it is imminent. There is nothing else on the timetable of God's prophetic calendar that has to take place before the second coming of Christ to to be established. And here, I want you to understand this, that, that in light of his return, whether you believe it is imminent or not imminent, we are called to live as if he's going to return today. And that might mean... He is going to return to take us out of this life to the next one. It might mean that he's going to come and receive his church and then eventually establish his kingdom. But may I ask you this? Are you living in light of the return of Christ? If you're not living in light of his return every single day, every moment, every week, every month, every year as a Christian, then you, in a sense, have an aspect of the spirit of Antichrist in your life today. Throughout the New Testament, the Bible tells us to await, to anticipate, and to watch for his return. Look at the second part of verse 18. John begins to transition. And he speaks about this last time or these last days. And he says, as you have once heard that Antichrist shall come, now, now, as we read this second thought here, the second half here of this verse, I want, I want you to think about this thought I'm going to share with you. Depart of faith not only means living with no concern of the return of Christ, but depart of faith means living with great opposition to Christ. So once you exit out of not really having any concern about the second coming of Christ, then it means you're going to kind of become a, an opposer of the gospel, an opposer of the word of God, an opposer of Jesus Christ himself. And here it says that, that the Antichrist will come. And so remember when Paul was preaching and teaching to the church of Thessalonica, he was there for about a month and he was unpacking so much doctrine of them in a short amount of time. And, and John was also teaching his believers about the similar thing. And perhaps he might have used their letters, the Thessalonica letters, to teach them too. But he goes on to say that there also, even now, are many antichrists. There, there's going to be one figure who's going to dramatically be against Christ and dramatically oppose Christ in the days to come in the tribulation period. 
But if you oppose Christ now, you have the spirit of Antichrist. So I can literally call you an Antichrist. Not the Antichrist, but an Antichrist. If, if I were to, to walk into a university and a professor were to be opposing this book right here, we can call that professor an Antichrist. If your family, men are, if family member um, makes derogatory comments about the word of God and rejects this book right here to be true, we can literally declare that they are an Antichrist. They have the spirit of Antichrist upon them. And that would be exactly what John is writing here today. If a pastor gets up and, and begins to deny many aspects about Jesus and about his word, then we can call that pastor an antichrist. And in fact, I just want to just pause and say this. I think that the greatest way that Satan could have his greatest work in the church is to disguise himself as a pastor. And so today, I want you to understand this, that not every person that stands behind the pulpit has the proper, pure motive of revealing the word of God. There are, sh there are wolves disguised as pastors who are inspired by Satan, and they have the spirit of Antichrist upon them. And that's why it is essential for you not just to hear my word, you, that you take God's word and you sift everything that I say through his word and anybody else who calls himself a pastor or teacher. So do you live with great opposition to Christ? Well, if you do, you have the spirit of Antichrist. And John is saying, hey, we know it's the last hour. We know it is the last period of time on God's calendar because he said that these false Christs would arise. And as we come closer to this culminating event that we call the return of Christ, the rapture of the church and him coming down and establishing his kingdom, we know that more and more and more and more of these false Christs are going to rise. More and more and more and more false teachings are going to rise. More and more and more false cults are going to rise. But now let me share this with you from verse 19. Here is a, an amazing verse that should encourage you. Because it, it encourages me. This verse says that they went out from us, but they were not of us. And he kind of restates what he said. For if they had been of us, then they would have no doubt continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest or that they revealed to the world that they were not all of us. So here's what I believe John is saying. Departed faith means leaving the body of Christ. Verse 19, if they experienced the transformative power of the gospel, they would have never left. Gives this idea of endurance, or as some theologians would say it, perseverance. I prefer the terminology endurance. That is, if you know you, if you are a Christian, if you've experienced true saving faith, then no matter the trials that will swing your way, no matter the temptations that come your way, no matter the false doctrine that comes into your life, you will not be swayed and you will not walk away from the true teachings of the word of God. Paul writes that there will come in the last days a departure from true saving faith. In other words, people will arise teaching things that are contrary to this book right here, contrary to the book that you're holding in your hand, teaching things that, that would reveal that, hey, there are many ways to heaven, that Jesus is not exclusively the only way to heaven, and that, my friends, is departed faith, saying that, hey, God didn't create the world as he said he did in Genesis. The prophets of old were not exactly real historical figures that actually preached the word of God. The 12 apostles are just a figure of our, a figment of our imagination. Listen, if anybody comes saying those things, then they have departed from true saving faith. 
My question for you is simple. I know we're in a church house. But have you departed from true saving faith? If you've departed from true saving faith, then you have not experienced true saving faith. The spirit of Antichrist is denying, distorting, and departing from true saving faith. And the first thought from verses 18 and 19 is simply the spirit of Antichrist departs from true saving faith. That is what it is. But now let me share with you the second um, meaning of the spirit of Antichrist. From verses 20 to verse 23, the spirit of Antichrist denies true saving faith. You see, once you depart from it, you will begin to deny it. You begin to say that it is not true, making all these different claims. But look at verse 20. I love verse 20. It gives this word, this old word, unction. Gives this idea of anointing. In fact, in and later on in the chapter, in verse 27, the same word that is translated as unction in verse 20 is translated as the word anointing in our English Bible in verse 27. It just gives this idea that, that once the Holy Spirit comes upon us, he's going to give us power. And so in verse 20, here's a thought I want to share with you. Whoever confirms Christ has been anointed by the Spirit of God. Whoever confirms Christ has been anointed by the Spirit of God. May I take you back to the Old Testament? One of the greatest kings in the Old Testament was David. And before David ever sat on the throne in Israel or Jerusalem, these prophets got him together. And these different people, these priests, these these important people in the Jewish system, they came together and they took oil. And they poured oil upon his head and they anointed him to become king. And this word anointed in our New Testament gives a similar idea of going back into the Old Testament. Remember John understood the Old Testament. He understood anointing. He understood this idea of unction, how that, that, that the Old Testament, since they would take oil and anoint somebody, that they would be, receive this unction. And so the Bible here gives us idea that, that in a similar fashion that we would anoint a king in the Old Testament or a prophet would be anointed for a special service, that, that every person who is a child of God, who is a Christian, has been anointed by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, there's much discussion among scholars about the Holy One. Is this referring to God the Father? Is this referring to God the Son? Is this referring to God the Spirit? Listen, there's a lot of discussion, and the vast majority of them, at least that I read, would lean at the Holy One as referring to Jesus Christ. But let me just share this with you. God the Father sent God the Son to the earth, and God the Son, when he was on this earth, he declared that the Comforter or the Holy Spirit would come. And so here we see that all of that is being manifested within this verse. This idea that God the Father sent the Son, and then the, 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 son, the Son promised the Spirit would come. And listen, if you have the Spirit of God living in you, if you've been anointed by the Spirit, you have saving faith. But if you don't have the Spirit, you're not going to confirm that. You're going to repel it. You're going to deny it. And that brings us to verse 21 and verse 22 and verse 23. Not only whoever confirms Christ, but I want to share with you, whoever denies Christ does not believe he is the Son of God. What you believe about Jesus determines everything about your life. And it determines how you will spend eternity. Look at verse 21. He says, I have not written to you 
because you don't know the truth. He says, you know it, and that no lie. This word lie gives, gives the original word here is the same where we get pseudo from. And so something that is not truth is a pseudo truth. That is a counterfeit. And here it says that no lie is of the truth. And then verse 22, it says, who, who is a liar? But he that denies Jesus is the Christ. You know, I once heard a professor. He would give, he taught New Testament. In fact, he is a well-known professor and scholar, but he's not a believer. He's not a Christian. But he teaches in North Carolina at, the, at UNC. And he likes to give his, his students a test, a 10-question test. And he tells them that if they can get eight out of the 10 answers right, he will buy them a steak dinner. And some of the, the questions are, are a little silly, like, um, like this. Did Jesus have a last name? And so many people will say, yes, his last name was Christ. When in fact, that is not true. Jesus did not have a last name. And in fact, many of the people in the ancient world did not have a last name. And so the name Christ has been attached to the name of Jesus. Because Jesus' name is, is Jesus. It goes back to the Old Testament word Jehoshua or Joshua. And so Christ is a title that has been added to his name. And so he is Jesus, the anointed one. So God anointed him to be the Messiah here in this life just how he's anointed us with the Holy Spirit. And so, in other words, that Jesus is being, by his very last name, or his last title we call last name today, Christ. He is the Messiah, the anointed one that the Old Testament prophets spoke about. And so here, he says that whoever denies this, this word deny, it gives the idea to refuse, to reject and so if you're here today and you reject or you refuse to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you have denied true saving faith. But now, the Bible says that that person is a liar in their denial. And it says he is antichrist, not the antichrist, but an antichrist, one who has the spirit of antichrist, one who denies the Father and the Son. In other words, he's saying this. He's saying if you deny that Jesus is the Son of God, you're denying Father God. You're denying God Almighty. Remember these Gnostics in this time period that John was writing, they were coming along the scene and saying, hey, Jesus wasn't fully God manifest in the flesh. He wasn't fully man. And so John's saying if you do not accept that he is God's Son, you are denying the incarnation of God. And in a sense, you're denying the message of God. Verse 23, he says that, if he, he reiterates this, whoever denies the Son, the same does not have the Father. But, but look at the last part of verse 23. The last part of verse 23, I, I'm encouraged by this. Here's a thought I want to relate to you about this phrase. Whoever confesses Christ believes he is the son of God. The word confess means to acknowledge. So that literally means that, that, that when opportunity comes and people ask you, what do you believe about Jesus Christ? We are called to confess that. We are confess that in the way that we speak, in the way that we live, and in our proclamation of the gospel. But it says here, he that acknowledges or confesses, if you will, the son has the father also. Remember what Paul said? He said that if thou shalt confess with 
thy mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in thine heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. The word confess there, it means to acknowledge. Do you acknowledge, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? And does that intellectual knowledge about Jesus, has it impacted you in a, in a relationship way that now you are living in light of his commands, seeking to obey his word? The spirit of Antichrist denies true saving faith. The spirit of Antichrist departs from true saving faith. But now let me share with you the third and final thought from verse 24 to verse 27. The spirit of Antichrist distorts true saving faith. Remember, our key thought is simply this. The spirit of Antichrist is denying, distorting, and departing from true saving faith. So check this out now. Once we depart from true saving faith, we will start to deny it or refuse it. We will reject it. And then once we've denied it and once we've rejected it and once we've departed from it, we will begin to distort it. Look at verse 24. Before we look at this verse, I, I want to ask this. I mean, how can we overcome saving faith that has been distorted? I mean, surely you've gotten a knock at your door by somebody that has taken true faith and distorted it. How do we overcome this? Well, I believe that John gives us the steps to do it. In verse 24 and 25, overcome distorted faith by resting in the promises of saving faith. Look at, look at verse 24. This verse reveals to us that we have been given a promise. And verse 25, promise from God that we can literally take to the bank on. Look at verse 24. It says, let that therefore abide in you. In other words, let it remain. Let it rest. Let it take root in your life and abide there. He says, which you have heard from the beginning. Not the very beginning of time from Genesis chapter 1, but from the beginning of the days of Jesus Christ and the apostles' teaching. From that beginning. He says, if that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you or abide in you. The same word is abide in the Greek Bible from verse 24. It says that which you have heard from the beginning shall remain in you. You also shall continue in the sun. This idea of perseverance, this idea of endurance. That is if you have the, if you've been redeemed by God and you've been saved, then you will continue on. We call this eternal security. That is, once you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you will never depart from it from the sense that you will leave and deny the faith. But if you've never experienced true, faith, true saving faith, you could have been a false convert and then you deny it. Or you could have just attended church all your life and then you just walk away without ever experiencing the power of the gospel. You might have saw it in other people's lives, but you never experienced it in your life. But then look at verse 25. He says, this is the promise. I love this word promise. In verse 25, this word promise, is it goes back. This is an announcement that has been revealed that carries divine assurance. And so today, we, as the songwriter said, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. We have that blessed assurance in Jesus. And if you know Christ, if you've experienced true saving faith, then you have assurance that you don't have to worry about your salvation falling out of your back pocket. Have you ever had a purse, ladies, that had a hole in it? 
Or have you men ever had a wallet that you felt like had a hole in it, that, that the money that came into your account was leaving faster than it was going in? Or have you ever had, 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 a, had a pocket that had a hole in it, and every time you put those quarters and that chains in your pocket, it just kind of stumbled out down your leg and into the floor? I mean, that happens to us all. But you don't have to be concerned about salvation departing from you like that. The Bible says that this is a promise that he promised us. And he says eternal life. This is life that doesn't have an ending. This is the eternal life that John wrote in the Gospel of John chapter 3. That for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved. If you've experienced that redemption, you have assurance, my friend. We can rest in the promise of saving faith. But look at verse 26. It says, these things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. The word seduce literally means to deceive. And that's what Satan does. He is a master deceiver. And he deceived Adam and Eve in the garden. And he's been deceiving mankind ever since then, promising them something that they cannot attain. Have you ever seen that, that cartoon where it's, it's, it's a bunny rabbit and they have... Um, the carrot on a string dangling in front of them, and the more they run, the, the, try, the closer they try to get to that carrot. I mean, I know I'm probably doing this, but, but the closer they try to get to that carrot, the carrot just keeps on staying in the same spot. They can never get it. They can never reach it. That's what Satan does to us. He deceives us and tricking us and trying to obtain something that we can never attain. But here, this idea, it means that, that they're going to come in and they're going to seduce somebody that's going this direction. And to, they're going to seduce them and trick them and deceive them into transforming into another path and going down another lane. But I want you to know this, that no matter the devices of the enemy, let us not be seduced by him. So how can we overcome this? Well, check it out now. Overcome distorted faith by rejecting the promises of seducing faith. The promises that this seducing faith offer does not compare to the promises that saving faith has. Let's reject it. Let's reject those promises of the enemy. Let's reject those promises of the false teachers that come our way as John did in his day. Many of you have been to the bank. Many of you have bank accounts. Maybe you have multiple bank accounts. But what I am told is that if you want to go into banking, that you're not going to go off to school and get a bachelor's degree in counterfeit money. <laughs> you're not going to, to, to go to graduate school and study $100 bills and which ones are fake, which ones are not fake. You're going to be so accustomed to working with the true dollar bill or the true $5 bill or the true 20 or the true 10 or the true 100. And you're going to know it front to back that when you see a counterfeit, you can spot it right away. And see... In the previous passage, John was writing about maturing faith. That is, those who are seeking to grow in their walk with Christ, they're going to begin to dive into God's word and go deeper and deeper and deeper to where when, when this counterfeit Christianity comes, they will be able to spot it right away. And today we have a lot of counterfeit preaching going on. We have a lot of counterfeit going on in the world today. And listen, when I gather into God's house, I do not need fluff I do not need story time with Uncle Billy Bob. 
We don't need any of that stuff today. Now, if it all coincides with the passage, let's reveal it and let's use it. But we don't need 35 minutes of story time and five minutes of Bible time. Listen, we need 35 minutes of Bible time and maybe five minutes of story time. We need the Word of God to be firmly our focus today, our firm focus today. In, in classes, in the sermon, in the lesson, in the Sunday school hour, on the Wednesday night Bible study, in every aspect, the word of God has to be supreme. And for the last 50 to 75 years, the word of God, I'm just going to be honest with you today, the word of God has not been placed at a primary focus in the church, even conservative churches. We have a sermonette for the Christianettes. And today, my friends, we do not need these motivational TED Talks in our churches. We need the Word of God to be the focus. Now, if you want a spiritualized TED Talk, I'll point you to the right direction. And if you want to be pumped up so that you can have a bunch of hot air to blow out to your neighbor, I'll tell you where to go. But what we need today is the Word of God. We do not need to be tickled with our ears of, hey, I, I just want to hear this and I just want to hear that. We need the word of God. And I believe that so many are seduced by the attacks of the enemy is because most churches in our valley here, in the state of Virginia, in the United States, and across the world are not allowing God's word to speak for itself. May I draw your attention to verse 27? Verse 27 gives us encouragement. Verses 24 and 25 talked about how we can rest in the promises of saving faith. Verse 26 speaks about how we can reject the pseudo-promises of seducing faith. But now this verse, this closing verse in our section today, think about this. Overcome distorted faith by receiving the promises of securing faith. Verse 27 says, but the anointing, literally the unction, but the unction which you've received of him abides in you. Remember, God the Father sent God the Son. God the Son spoke about the promise of God the Spirit. And now we have the Spirit of God. We have this anointing. And then it goes on to say, it says, and you need not that any man teach you. In other words, He's saying that you, you don't need any of this false doctrine that they are revealing today. And then it says this, it says, but as the same anointing teaches you of all things and is truth and is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, you shall abide in him. Here, the temptation for this verse is to say, all I need is my Bible and the Holy Spirit. And I'm not negating that. Don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. The Holy Spirit is the greatest teacher on this earth, okay? With his word, the best commentator on the word of God is the word of God itself. That's why the Bible says here a little, there a little, line upon line. And then we use the word of God to allow it to interpret itself. But there are people who have been greatly gifted by God who can dive into the trenches of God's word to understand in a deeper level than my little brain can. And so I think that it is very profitable if we allow those people to speak into our lives to help guide us as long as what they're saying matches with the word of God. So today, it's not saying you don't ever need to listen to teaching or preaching. 
It's not saying that. It's saying that the greatest preacher, the greatest teacher, the greatest expositor is the Holy Spirit. And when somebody is, is seeking to be guided by the Holy Spirit and meditating in a passage, then they can guide us and show us his word. And here, the Holy Spirit secures us. Remember what Paul said in Ephesians? He says the Holy Spirit seals us to the day of redemption. That is, until Jesus takes us out of here through death or through the rapture, God is going to seal us. You know, I, I once saw a title of a book. It said, Don't Waste Your Life. And I thought, you know, that, that's really good. But I want you to know this, that, that all of us, to, to a certain extent, waste a lot of our life away. Hear me out. On average, you'll spend maybe about 78 years on this earth or about 936 months. You know, some people will, will, will stay longer, some will, will, will not. But, but, but listen to this. You spend 25 years of your life sleeping. Think about that. You spend 10.3 years of your life working. Three, now, I thought this one was, was pretty crazy. Um, we're Baptists around here, so we'll, 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 we'll probably say amen to this one. But we spend 3.6 years of our lives eating. Yeah. We spend two years of our life in a work meeting. <laughs> we spend a year and a half in the bathroom. <laughs> and 92 days on the commode. <laughs> Women spend eight years shopping. And one year deciding what to wear. <laughs> and I am told men spend about one year staring at women. And one writer said that firmly um, reveals to us that all men are creepy. <laughs> You're awake for 53 years, and the average person spends 70% of them in front of digital media. Remember, Paul said in Ephesians that we are commanded to redeem the time because the days, of evil, the days are evil. That said, here's how you can waste your life. Distract yourself with good things. Avoid what's right in front of you. Tell yourself you, you will never have enough time to accomplish whatever you want to accomplish. Talk about what you should, but never actually do it. Watch a whole lot of TV. Believe certain narratives about yourself and wait for permission to do what you think you should do. But this article didn't talk about the greatest way to waste your life. And the greatest way to waste your life is to never accept Christ and to always have the spirit of Antichrist. The spirit of Antichrist is denying, distorting, and departing from true saving faith. What's up, guys? Brian here again. Just wanted to say thanks again for tuning in to today's episode. You can check out this full message at PastorBrianRalph.com or Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. Keep the Faith is a ministry of Clearbrook Baptist Church in Roanoke, Virginia. If you're free one Sunday or Wednesday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. Until next time, God bless. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. I'm gonna walk by, I'm gonna keep my, I'm gonna live by faith. Keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith, keep the faith.